Show. The Dude Abides on Radio 8-Ball. Jeff Dowd, a.k.a. The Dude, with Andres Jones here on Radio 8-Ball, coming your way all the way, all the time. Welcome to Radio 8-Ball. Give us a shake. We're in L.A. Tempting things. To the songs that we will randomly select with the help of a friend. Synchronicity. No, it's time for radio paper. Give us a shake. It's a to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I am your host, Andras Jones, here in the studios at Starburns Industries with Carolyn Kane. Hi. And she is providing the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. And now we are joined by one of her friends, someone who uh, joined us to see John Bryan at, the, at Largo this last Friday night. And uh, we've been talking a lot about film, but that stops now because we're welcoming a film scholar, Dr. Michelle Devereaux, to oh. Radio 8 Ball. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball. Thank you so much, Andras. It's great to be here. You don't have to refer to me as doctor throughout the, the show, though. <laughs> okay, Doc. I'm... Uh... <laughs> Okay. I'm very excited to be here and to support my lovely, talented friend. As a Carolyn doctor Kane. of film, can you fix film? Um, can you, can do I bring you, have you a, a film emergency? Can, can I bring you a sick film and can you make it better? Um, I, I, can no, you go, I'm not that kind of doctor. Can you fix Ford Fairlane? Um, oh, d- a, does it need fixing? I mean, <laughs> it, it, someone needs a time Andrew machine. Dice Clay yeah. is, you know. <clears throat> Such a genius. Yes. Well, well. <laughs> is that is is Andrew? Is that so? Your your what is your field of study in film? I know Andrew Dice Clay is probably ground zero for it. Um. Yeah. I mean, as an sense of, uh, yeah, ground zero of what I would maybe want to stay away from. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of a generalist. I think I like a little bit of everything. I love genre film. I love. Um, crazy stuff um you know i love a good uh italian giallo film or a a women's uh picture a a weepy a melodrama some douglas cirk vibe um you know i'm i i'm a big david lynch fan um i think my tastes tend towards maybe to the esoteric and a bit weird which might be one of the reasons why we're friends. I don't know. <laughs> and you are friends with Kira. That's yeah, that's how you yeah. you've been. How long have you known? Uh, how long? How did you, you? How did you meet? We met in a bar. <laughs> Where a lot of good friendships start. I can't. I honestly don't remember. I mean, when was this? 
Um, this was probably, it was well, it was over 10 years ago. It was probably about maybe a dozen years ago. Um, we actually had a mutual friend. Um, I used to work for and write for um, the, uh, uh, a weekly uh, newspaper in San Francisco called the San Francisco Bay Guardian, the late lamented. It's a um, great paper. Yeah. yeah, it folded a few years ago now. Um, which sucks because a lot of my writing was in there and the archive has been removed from the internet. So a lot That's of my terrible. clips are just gone. They've just disappeared into a black hole. Um, but hopefully, I think they're working on getting getting them back up. But anyway, um, our good friend um, in common is uh, Cheryl Eddy, who now uh, writes for io9, introduced us. But I believe you two also met at the bar. Yeah. It was our local watering hole. What bar it, was this? The 500 Club. The 500 Club. Um, yes, um, in the Mission. And we all kind of lived in around a couple of yeah. blocks radius from that bar. So, um, yeah, uh, we met through um, Cheryl. And I remember um, when we first met and before I really got to know you, I found you, um, I found her super intimidating because she was so glamorous and, and um, you know, this this um, ethereal chanteuse kind of lady and she she, she was so put together and um, I was just this dorky little film nerd with um, you know black horn glasses and I felt like I wasn't cool enough to hang out with her but yeah, I want, I, listeners cannot see the look on Kira's face which is sort of like a mixture of Embarrassment and a sense of this is ludicrous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. It's true, I mean, whether or not it's ludicrous, that is how I felt. Yes. No, no, no. Before I don't... we got to know each other, and yeah. then I realized what a sweet, kind, not that I didn't think she was sweet when I, we first met, but she was just very intimidating. Like, her whole persona and her vibe was so cool that, you know, and I've always been kind of super uncool, so... Well, I, if it makes you feel better, I felt that way about both of you when I met you on Friday night. Really? Until we, okay. yeah. Well, she's been teaching me some things, I yeah. guess, and that would be cool. I don't even know the what cool means. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it you means, know when you see it. It means hanging out you know, at the 500 like bar in San Francisco <laughs> with these cool people you know, who are all in the hurly-burly of the art world. It's you know, it's, I'm sure you were all very intimidating to... You know, people who were into one another and to, you know, to anyone who didn't have as much going on, right? So, uh, so I, here, I have, a, I have a question for you. Yes. Have you, uh, so do you see the world when, like, do you approach the world cinematically? Like, you'll have a situ an interaction with someone, you're like, that's just like such and such. Like, I feel like this, I'm in a Woody Allen movie, or I feel like I'm in a, 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 a movie, or what, do you, is that... Do you feel like you live a cinematic life, and that that is the that's the the way that you integrate reality? I mean, sometimes maybe. I think that um, that might be kind of my desire mm -hmm. <laughs> to have life be cinematic, but oftentimes it's just you know horribly banal and and rote and everyday. And even though you can make great films about the everyday, and people very much have. Um, um, it's sort of, yeah, I guess I do kind of look at life sometimes through a cinematic lens because I, very often I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist and I do kind of like to observe and I like mm -hmm. to be sort of outside of things, looking on at a scene. Um, for instance, when we were at the John Bryan show, 
um, the after show at, at the Largo. Um, I got up to go to the bathroom, um, and then somebody um, requested um, Life on Mars, and I wanted to hear him play Life on Mars, so I stood at the back, mm -hmm. and I kind of got the whole picture of, you know, the crowd singing along Life on Mars with John Bryan, and like the, the scene, and the beauty of the scene, and the togetherness of all these people, whereas I don't think um, sitting near the stage as I was in the crowd, I would have got the same picture, and it would have been, um, I mean, it would have been a close-up, I guess, as, mm -hmm. as, uh, as, but um, um, I like, um, I liked that kind of tableau kind mm -hmm. of aspect to it. Um, and I guess I do tend to like very grandiose kind of um, cinematic landscapes, like big vistas and, and big statements and, and, you know, great compositions and that kind of thing. So, um, but I also like, you know, the the, the intimacy of certain things, um, uh, the light that can be shown on certain human behaviors in cinema that you can't um, necessarily get in real life. So, I mean, it, to me, looking at something through a cinematic lens is almost like, it's almost redundant to me because I feel like a, a life is kind of inherently cinematic in mm -hmm. some ways. Like I feel like cinema is, the purpose of cin cinema is to illuminate life and sort of um, draw attention to these moments of life that yeah. if we're kind of walking through um, with our blinders on and sort of looking at our phones or whatever that we're and we're not engaging that it's showing us how to engage totally. with life and I think that's why cinema is so important to me and why I love film so much um, you know they teach us about ourselves but they also make us feel connected to each other oddly even though we're sitting alone in a dark room say and not talking to each other mm -hmm. I feel I feel seen and known and um, understood when I watch a great film that I really respond to and I really love, you know? And um, so, yeah, to me, life life, life is cinematic already. So I guess I do look at it through a cinematic lens. So I'm curious, did you, have you ever, when you've thought in your brain, when you've been thinking of Kara's name, have you ever thought, made the connection of Carolyn Kane and Citizen Kane before? Probably, but not like, it, it hasn't stuck in, yeah. in my head. So much. Will it Especially, now? Do you think it will? It, will it, it will might, now? It very well might. Yeah, um, it's quite possible. Um, it's the greatest film. It's regarded by many as the greatest film of all time. So it's a, it's a pretty cool. Like it's not like I love Orson Welles. So it, I, named, I had a late cat named, cat named Orson. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love. It's probably not my favorite of his, but I mean, what's your favorite of his? Um. Uh, me, I, maybe I have a touch of evil because I'm a huge film noir yeah, fan. Yeah, I love touch of um, evil. Or Lady from Shanghai maybe is really great too. Um, I don't know. Like I love all his stuff. I love yeah. his ads for Peeps. Yeah. I love his ads for Peeps too. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, <laughs> I feel like he is a synchronistic artist. I feel like Citizen Kane is an example. Like is an example of him. You know, encoding things that were very much in the in reality into his films to create this sense. I mean the the war of the worlds is a case, is a case mm -hmm. of courting synchronicity of creating a sense of like something's really happening. Yeah. And it, and that's there in his stuff about magic and the F for fake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Yeah, I love F for fake. It's I would great yeah, I documentary. I love talking about Orson. And now, you, when we were, uh, you, we've, I've already established to myself, we haven't, you don't really listen to film podcasts. Um, I'm not really a podcast person. I've dabbled here and there, but no, I mean, I, I do actually have 
uh, listen to you must remember this quite I a love, bit. Yeah, that's the great one. Yeah, um, uh, just because I love, there, there's so much of the film history of Hollywood's golden age that I don't necessarily know the nitty gritty details of, even if I might know the larger story, and I think that's a great podcast. Now, as someone who's recently come through film school, uh, like, yeah, you're not film school as well, a filmmaker. Film school, I mean, I was, I'm, uh, I went to film school when I was much right. younger to do like, oh, I'm going to be a director and make yeah. films and realize that that probably wasn't terribly um, realistic. Um, but I was more like, um, I study film now. I don't, you know, so it's more like um, we wouldn't call it film school. It would be more like, I don't know. I got my PhD in right. film studies. Basically. Well, I just feel like what co- there's something about. I'm glad you talked about it because I feel like that is a film podcast that ele- it, that elevates the genre. From my in yeah. my experience, a lot of film podcasts de-elevate the genre, and in a great way. And I was going to say the reason Orson Welles can't because everyone who does a film co- podcast is going to have to approach Orson Welles at some point. Yeah. Unless they're film co- unless they're doing a, a podcast based upon bad films, which are the different. Right. There is a whole genre of those. He, he was in a few of those too, though. But yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I think he was in Godzilla 1985, wasn't <laughs> right. he? Or but uh, Karina Longworth. So the, yeah. I'm curious. The thing I love about her, I am a big fan of the golden age of Hollywood, and so I'll, I'm I'm familiar with a lot of those stories. But as I listen to it, there are ways that I'm not even I'm not sure she's aware of or maybe she is, that be, the way she approaches it, being a woman and looking at this, as she talks about, uh, you know, Catherine Hepburn, or she talks, like, yeah. the, there's just this way, I don't feel like, when I describe it to people, I was like, it's not a feminist film podcast, but it, you can't, but it's certainly not, not a feminist film it's podcast. It's from a woman's perspective, it's, a but woman's it's point of view. Beyond, so. it's, I guess, yeah, but, it, but again, in, but effort, effortlessly so. Yeah. It's not like she's saying, I'm giving you a woman's perspective. Oh, no, she no, just no. has it, and there's a way that she, there's things that she talks about that it's it's like, it's, it's as startling as the time we're living in of what's revealed by the things she chooses to focus on that are so obvious that no one has ever focused on about so many of these figures mm. that we've spent so much time right. talking and thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just curious if that is reflected in the current state of the of film study as you, when you were, like, is that conversation, is that the way the conversation's occurring in academia and with film right now? I mean, to be honest, the the, the academic context that I was working in is, was primarily from um, a philosophical point of view, um, and it was much less than a historical point of view. Um, so, I mean, I do know of academics who definitely, there's this kind of... Um, emerging kind of sub-genre of film academic study, like celebrity culture study, or stardom studies, basically, which would kind of fall under the rubric of something like you must remember this, I think. Um, But it's not something that I have any um, kind of intimate working knowledge of that kind of thing happening. Um, um, It's much more, yeah, I, I just for some reason I kind of got sucked into this whole, like, film philosophy they call it um sort of the where where cinema meets philosophy and where where one illuminates the other and the sort of um interlapping sort of dialogue that film and philosophy have and also the philosophy of just the nature of film um and cinema itself what it does um um and yeah it's much more of a 
big picture kind of stuff versus the the granular stuff that that she's looking at. Well, as listeners can probably tell, this is a field that this is a conversation I could just go on and on. Over. I really just want to have there's three conversations I want to have with you, and that it would take us about an hour. So we can't do that. But what is your so let's let's move this into the okay. realm of the pop oracle. What is your question for well, the pop oracle? It's actually a great segue because um, my question is actually career related, and I feel like you know most of the guests today have had these really um, profound sort of big picture questions that they've been asking about the meaning of life, and you know how, how can you ever really know another person and stuff. But mine is going to be much more practical and Good. sort of. Um, um, probably more banal. <laughs> everyone um, thinks that about their... Like, yeah. Every, I guarantee you, everyone who asked their question thought that their question wasn't any good. So right. as long as your question is selfish, okay. then it's very it'll selfish. be good. Great. Definitely. Um, so I, yeah, I went back to school a few years ago. I was, um, you know, I've been doing, writing freelance, doing film criticism and journalism for several years. Um, it's, it's a really difficult gig. It's hard to make a living at it. Um, uh, just because the pay is so bad and the work is kind of intermittent. Um, so I was working a day job that I hated and I felt stuck and I was, I didn't feel challenged, um, intellectually or emotionally or spiritually or whatever, however you want to call it at all. So I decided I was going to get my PhD and it was sort of a thing that I kind of just did for myself as a thing to see if I could do. And I didn't have any real um, aspirations to become an academic. I just wanted to study film in an academic context and and um, and possibly write a book and get a book out of it. Um, and then I had no plans beyond that um, for staying in academia. So my question is basically kind of, you know, since then, since I've become, uh, a, a, you know, gotten into uh, academia or academic study in a really serious way. Um, you know, my perspective has shifted a little bit, and now I'm wondering if should I um, commit myself to trying to become have a career as a full-time academic, a film scholar, um, you know, institutionally uh, related, get a job as a you know a professor or a lecturer, and um, and make a go of it, or should I um, just go out on my own and go back to doing what I was doing before and not worry about, um, you know, institutions and, and sort of the the um, uh, bureaucratic nature of what goes into that and just sort of um, be on my own and do my thing again and, um, yeah, and just sort of give up on that. So just to, to, pair, to pair that yeah. down, the question is, should you stay in academia yes. follow, or should you go out go back to doing things just on your own yes exactly because um, I'm, I'm at a crossroads right now I had a teaching position uh, at the University of Birmingham in England and it was a short term contract and that contract has ended so now I'm looking for deciding whether or not I want to try and go for to make this a real right. go of it. And, and be, just to be clear, the fact that you were in Birmingham, England, is why we are trusting you as the authority on the names of Ray Davis and Deborah Carr. Correct. I think you should maybe trust me more in the Deborah Carr thing, but I've definitely he I heard the Ray Davis thing as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so now we're at the place where we have two songs left on the board, and <clears throat> they are song number one, All the Mirrors of the World. That might be your answer. <laughs> and song number six, 
what is love? So now to engage the pop oracle, we're going to use, we're going to switch. We, we've used the wheel. We're done with that. We've used the cards. We're done with that. We're down to the binary oracular tool. You may know it as the coin, Ooh. the Radio 8 coin. And listeners won't be able to see this, but this coin is definitely taken some beatings so you know it's got some life in it uh lots of musical divinations have been conducted with this coin okay. so you're going to flip I'm, a, I'm a little bummed that i can't i, I don't get to spin the wheel but that, that's cool it's, it's <laughs> the way it goes. but you get but you do get to flip the radio eight coin that's true. so if it lands on heads it will be song number one all the mirrors of the world and if it lands on tails it's going to be song number six what is love from carolyn kane so now you get to flip the radio eight coin. Should I just flip it onto the ground? Flip it however you want to yeah, flip okay. it. <laughs> Looks like it's heads. 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 Song number one. All the mirrors of the world. Should you stay in academia or go back to doing things on your own? Exactly. Andres, are you ready for another door? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
in the world from Carolyn Kane, the answer to Michelle, Dr. Michelle Devereaux's question, should she remain in academia or should she go back on her own doing things solo out in the world as a non-academic, I guess. As a freelancer. Yeah, as a freelancer. So, Carolyn Kane, can you tell us a little about where that song comes from? I wanted to provide for myself an environment that was a sort of opiatic prom because it sort of, in my mind, that encapsulates a sense of longing that I've always had and that that sort of drugged, dreamy, prom, sway feeling, I I never saw it exactly mirrored back to me the way that I personally experienced it. So I wanted to give that to myself, and that's what that song is. Hmm. Do you, just curious, do you you like the, do you see the most recent season, the the season of uh, Twin Peaks? I haven't seen it. Okay, just because there's a lot... The the it ends it ends almost every show with a music piece that's played at the club, and when you're talking about that's like am what, amnesiac or opiatic prom, <laughs> that feels like Twin Peaks to me. Anyway, I think she would have been excellent as one of those yeah. um, finishing mu- musicians. Yeah, because there, there was a musical interlude basically at the end of every episode. And it was a different awesome. different musician, and you would have been perfect. Yeah. If only Mr. Lynch had known. Yeah. So, what did you think about that as your answer, the answer to your question, Michelle? Mm. I think um, I, I, f- I felt a lot of or heard a lot of resonances in the song about multiples, and you know, first of all, the. The title itself, and and um, just the sort of abundance and uh, longing, and um, for kind of, um, I mean, there's definitely that opiatic problem thing going on for sure. Like the dreamy, sleepy thing is absolutely your characterization of it is perfect, and it's so beautiful. By the way, I think that's one of my favorites of yours. I love that song. Um, but. Um, and there's also, I believe there's a there's a lyric in the beginning about seeing a door underground and going underground. And to me, these things like going underground and um, multiples and many things kind of speaks to the idea of 
uh, having a lot kind of going on and um, different and variety and um, kind of different things to pick and choose from. And um, that to me totally. sounds like freelancing. Right. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> whereas that, whereas it, in act, academia you know I call it the ivory tower like you're locked in there and it's one thing and it's institutional and it's um um kind of its own it it's a form of validation in a way I think for someone's work um and that's probably one of the reasons I wanted decided to get my doctorate um or felt like I wanted to because I I kind of felt like it would be self-validating somehow um but these kind of dreamscapes that you're conjuring here make me think more of possibility and multiple possibility and 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 the uh, the having the capacity to sort of follow you know there's that that interlude about following your shine kind of thing that yeah. that makes yeah. me think of oh if that interests me over here now then I'm going to go do that for a little while and I'll come back to this later Whereas in academia, it's very structured and you have to hit all these goalposts and meet all these um, uh, regular, you know, benchmarks um, for what's expected of you. And it's very, you know, structured and much more, um, um, well, if you're lucky to get a permanent full-time position, which is really hard in the humanities nowadays, but it's, um, uh, there's much less room to probably experiment like what what is expected you, you it's very clear what's expected of you and there are very you know rigid criteria that you need to meet to in order to make it in that kind of world so so your your song to me feels like um it's about kind of following not following your dream sounds horribly te- cheesy but not like that in that way just like sort of um, being open to possibility. That's a more beautiful way of saying what I'm about to say, which is that this song is is clearly also about something that uh, is a theme, I think, for me in everything that I do, which is both longing and also searching for a peace and acceptance of chaos, mm-hmm. that that everything's floating in mystery and somehow choosing not to hide from that, not to yeah. build something to, to not, not to build a dam against those waters, but to allow that floating, longing, myster- mysterious um, existence that there's a, somehow like an that's what it is, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not gonna. And it's good and bad. Mm-hmm. And give me a map and a light. I'm really lost, but I've never wanted more. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because what when you're describing that, that makes me think of like the the work I do. The the my my studies, like my thesis, was basically about that. You know, like embracing chaos and learning to live within chaos and and accept your place in the world and your understanding of the world from your limited subjectivity, but being able to kind of go with the flow of life and, and where it takes you and, and, and embracing, embracing the chaos. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, there are hosts, Andras Jones, 
um, is affiliated with a radio station in Washington State, I think, called Chaos Radio. Uh, mm. Affiliated is uh, is one way to put it, yeah. Or do you own it? No, no, no. I, I, I used to. This, the show was started there. Yeah, I did the show on the on Chaos for 10 years. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I had a, see, I, I, not at all. I think your interpretation is perfect for you. <laughs> but I, when I was listening, when I was, so my experience of academia is not as a teacher. I grew up in, mm. in academia. My father was a professor. So I grew up on, and on campuses. And I feel very comfortable and happy on most things that feel like a campus. And and my experience as a student on campus is this idea of going into a library. When I like the mirrors of the world, sounds like a library to me. Mm, yeah. And how going Borgesian. in, going yes. in with a what? I said how Borgesian. <laughs> yeah. And going in with a map and a light, like I. I have I, there's something I want to figure out and here and I and I love college libraries. They always have books that you'd never find anyplace else. These just fantastic tomes that are that are written by people who think that nobody's ever going to read their, their stuff because all it's only people in like academia. Mm-hmm. And you come across something, you're like, oh, my mind is blown. I can't believe that I found this. Yes. And then it sends you and and that sends you on to another thing and that sends you on to another thing. So. Yeah, and so for me, it felt like it felt like a resounding push towards academia. That's not, so funny. but not for not necessarily for you. It's just like my reflection of this was if this was my question. It's from if you look at it, academia from a different point of view, then yes. I mean, I could theoretically do all that stuff outside, right? Of working for an institution, right. and I'm sure it's a different thing when you're when you're when you're on the. When you're working there, it's completely different. And I think yeah. even like I think it only is comes from my father. My uh, the my experience of going back to school. I went to Evergreen for a year after my father died, and he was one of the founding faculty there. And it was a way of sort of being cl- as part of my process of you know getting right with him. And one of the things that he said, I remember him saying over and over when I was a kid. He's like, people go to college and completely miss out on it because they're trying to win at it instead of just learning for the sake of learning. And the system is of our society is set up with that. But I, so I, because I had that, I approached that year with this idea of I have no intention of winning at this, but I am going to enjoy learning. Yeah. I'm going to let, I'm going to use the tools here. And so I, that's just a way of saying that, why the reason that those lines reflect for me that way is because of my own personal experience, right. not necessarily what the reality of being in academia. Also, I wanted to say one other thing is that when you were saying that you never wanted to be in academia and then you went and hung out in academia. No, not that I never wanted to. It was never my intention. It was, was never, never your, my goal. Yeah, it was never your goal. And then you went and hung out in academia and it made you think, well, maybe I want to do this. That's a well, that's but, a dis, that's a cult you're describing. It is a cult. It's a cult. And, and there's there's this um, or a bad gang. There's like, this anxious, nervous energy among um, uh, PhD students and early career researchers. A lot of them, anyway, about you know, I need to do this. I need to get that. I need to hit this goal, and I need to publish here. And I need I need to, and 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 it's just like um, I mean, people burn out. They get um, horribly depressed. Um, you know, mental health in in. Um, in uh, post-secondary education is is super low because um, everyone's so stressed out. You mentioned that you went to Evergreen, right? And from the little I know of, that's in Washington State. Yeah. 
I know it a little bit because an, an ex of mine actually went there. And as far as I know, like it's very um, loosely structured and you're kind of like you can kind of do what you want. And you and can create your own you curriculum. Create kinda, your yeah. own curriculum. And they have kind of um, classes that other that might interdisciplinary studies. Yeah, uh, might be considered a little wacky, even at some other like more traditional institutions. So I feel I, like most film study stuff is pretty wacky. Um, I mean, not in a codified setting of, you know, studying humanities in, um, a, you know, in a university that's, you know, in case of Britain, where I was, yeah. hundreds of years old. Yeah, the film studies program is maybe only 20 years old right. and considered kind of a fringe outlier. But you still have to do all the same stuff that everyone else and you um, has to do and you still have yeah. to meet those benchmarks. And nowadays, even um, I, I don't know what. Evergreens like now, I'm sure it's probably much the same. But most most universities are extremely rigid, and that's getting worse. And this whole like neoliberal um, sort of uh, revamping of uh, higher education that's been going on both here and in Britain. I think oh, and that's happening at Evergreen too. And so there are things there. Evergreen has its Evergreen definitely has its problems. Yeah, uh, but it's, uh, it's gotten tune really- into our check out our episode <laughs> with. Vivian Cook for more discussion on problems at Evergreen. but it, it's 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 just gotten and it's really sad and everyone you know academics are really upset about it but it's this machine that's just steamrolls over everyone and no one knows how to stop it so um, and it's not very human centric. It's totally not human centric at all. It's 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 bottom line centric and there's a lot of um, aspects of higher education nowadays have become like it, it's a business. It's not a, it's not an institution dedicated to just, you know, the pursuit of knowledge um, for its own sake. And well, you know, we do have to make sure that the DeVos family <laughs> gets richer. It's right. very important. And it's, I believe, yacht, I believe, I believe so. that is was the foundation of the American educational system to enrich the already wealthy at the expense of those seeking knowledge. I believe that. I don't know. Was it to Thomas Jefferson say that? Know, someone, someone, some smarty ben pants, or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from and what you're saying about academia, and I'm, I'm, it seems to be getting further and further away from that. Um, sort of ideal of what it should be as the years and even the months go on. Well, and my my father would be very very sad to hear that because he spent his whole career working towards uh, education, towards the idea that education is best when it is passionate, when it is yes. inspired. And when it is for the joy of learning. That's how I feel as well. And I'm not saying that I don't want to be an academic. That's why I'm asking the Oracle question, I feel question, like right? academia needs inspired people like you, you to know, th- blow it up. I, I think that there's, I mean, not necessarily me, but there's a lot of value to that sentiment as well. Like the, you know, the, the great people are being turned off of working in a, uh, universities and higher education nowadays because it has become such a grind and so far removed from what it really should be and that those people need to stick around because, um, you know, knowledge, um, uh, we need still need great minds to be able to contribute to our base of knowledge and also to teach um, 
you know, young people in order to become the future great minds or, you know, develop more great minds. So I'm not saying that I don't want to be an academic. I'm just saying that what I read into that song oh, yeah. was that that that's how that's no. that was my interpretation of it but uh, but I, yours is about no just but I, I I'm with Absolutely. you the bureaucracy I mean it's funny because you talk about I loved growing up around evergreen and I love doing radio up on chaos but the 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 exact the kind of what you're talking about the institutional thinking the the sort of refusal to it's engage is really ter- as can be you know is can be really, really frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, it, I feel like we—I feel like you should have your own podcast, <laughs> and you should have me on as a guest, and then we can talk about film and that academia. She sounds like a lot of fun. For, I know, like a long, have a really long. But I, you said all film bo- podcasts are most film podcasts are bad. Well, though, that's what right? I'm saying. Well, that's there need to be good ones. Oh, right. I think okay, ones yeah. where basically my complaint is that a lot of film podcasts. Someone will come on and they'll talk about. They'll, they'll say, oh, "I don't like that film. Why do you like it? Oh, because it was boring." Yeah. Well, that's a that tells me about you. Yeah. That tells me nothing about the film. If you're uh, I, just before I came here, there were these people. Someone posted a picture of Quentin Tarantino in this goofy-looking moo on the set of the new <laughs> film he's doing, oh, "Once Upon a Time, Upon a time in, in Hollywood." In Hollywood. Yeah. And they, everyone was just bagging on Quentin Tarantino and how horrible he is. And there's a bunch of musicians who are middle-aged white pop musicians who are all doing stuff that is somewhat derivative. I throw myself in that same pool. And like, oh, if he didn't rip off everybody else and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, there's a, the reason I love Katrina, Katrina, Karina, Karina Longworth. And and there's other, I think the film, uh, the Projection Booth podcast is a really great one. But, uh, but the ones that are good elevate the conversations, yeah. and the ones that are bad, like I was listening to one. I, I'm going to be nice, and I'm not going to say her name, but she hosts a film podcast, and she started a new podcast where they started. They're doing. Well, I'm going to. I know I'm adding her. Where they're doing all of the AFI films mm-hmm. one by one, and the first one was Citizen Kane. You mean the top 100? Yeah, the top yeah. 100. And the and her co-host had never like had never seen Citizen Kane before doing this podcast. And Did there was he all know he was going to do the podcast. No, yeah, he does. There was all. It was all about how people like how people don't like don't know what Citizen Kane is. And it was it's this idea of like, I don't like, and I was so offended. Like, why am I listening to this podcast of someone who hasn't even taken the time to really... Why like, would someone talk about a film on a podcast if they haven't even seen the film? I know. He's like, I saw half of it <laughs> once. And it was just, but I, psychotic. This is why I'm saying why we need you. Oh. Okay. We need film scholars who have unique... What, like, you can... You can totally have a critique of Quentin Tarantino. Give me an intelligent critique of Quentin Tarantino. Right no, 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 not you. <laughs> I'm just saying that in any film, that an intelligent critique of any film is useful or any art is useful. Yeah. But a, I don't like that. It's dumb. Uh, it's boring. <laughs> oh, I mean, it had Tom Cruise in it. Everyone hates Tom Cruise or whatever. These kind of conversations are like they they bring the conversation down to a level yeah. of schoolyard bullying, and it's to me it's of a piece with the guy who's in the White House. It's the same yeah. kind yeah. of this kind of conversation cheapens all of us. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is, just hanging out with you for a little while here, I feel like you 
the world of film podcasts needs, needs you. you. Yeah. And okay, I, I, I will think about it. Yeah. So. We we, uh, we could get together and do the theme song for you. Awesome. Yeah, that would be, yeah. That would be especially amazing, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this. Every episode has one really long one. I think this was, was this it. really long? Oh, no, it's good. That means that we were having, we were okay. enjoying the conversation. We okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I'm sure if anyone out there uh, for the, for the other, for the other film founds out there, I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, if you're in academia, have hope, have hope. Can I shamelessly plug something? Only shamelessly. <laughs> I have a book coming out next year, my first book on uh, monograph um, on romanticism and contemporary American independent film. And that's going to be published by Edinburgh University Press. And, um, you know, if you're interested in film and stuff, you might want to check it out. <laughs> okay. It's a, give us the title again. Um, well, it, it doesn't have an official title yet. We're still in talks on that. But my hope is that it's going to be called Spirits in Solitude. Spirits in Solitude. Yes. Exploring 21st century. What did I say? Say it again. Spirits in Solitude. Experience, but what's the, uh, the romanticism in contemporary American ind- independent cinema? Romanticism in contemporary independent American and American contemporary American independent cin- cinema. Fifty Days of Summer. No, that is that in there. Five hundred days. Five hundred days of summer. No. God no. no. Okay. No. <laughs> But definitely her. And I illustrated no. a mock-up cover for this no. book. But they no. won't take my cover. There's nary a manic pixie dream girl in my book. Wait, so. hurry? I thought you said her was in it. Oh, her. I thought you were talking about Zoe Deschanel. I'm sorry. No, no. I thought you meant her as in, like, because she's no, in no. 500 Days no, of no. Summer. I meant yes, the film Her. Yes, definitely the film Her. her. I was it's... trying to give listeners some sense I'm of so sorry. the films that are in It's a very confusing title. This yes. happens a lot with this film title. Yeah. Is people get confused. Her? No, no. No, you know, Her. Like, yeah, Her. Yeah. Yes. The Spike Jones film Her, I do write about. Yes. How about Fur? The Deanne no. Arbus. No, no. That See, we're doing that it again. That wasn't that great. Oh, I loved that. Uh, yeah? I really did. That was the one with Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah, and yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. right before Iron Man. I only saw it once. I can't remember what I thought of it. Secretary? Uh, sec- secretary, I like. Okay. Oh, okay. This is, this is, what <laughs> I think. Can, this is our this podcast. <laughs> okay. I know. Well, <laughs> I think we should. And we can't. So, uh. <laughs> thanks a lot, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and check out our website and the links provided for info about past and future shows on the Radio 8 blog, our ongoing Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. And until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Wave Ball Show.